Welcome to the Class of 1987 podcast. I'm your host, Tim Harkness. On this podcast, we will be speaking with members of the Yale College Class of 1987 about their lives, where they've been, where they are now, and where they are going. We plan to cover a wide range of topics and have people who represent the full range of our class's experience. The class of 1987 is the best class that Yale College has ever had, and we're here to celebrate that. So sit back and listen to what your classmates have to say. And welcome to the next edition of the Y87 podcast. With me today is Charlotte Sussman. Charlotte, welcome. Hi, Tim. Good to be talking with you. Nice to talk to you. So where are you and what are you up to these days? I am in Durham, North Carolina. And I'm a professor of English at Duke University. I've lived here since 2005. Before that, I lived in, in Boulder, Colorado. I taught at the University of Colorado for a long time. And what else can I tell you? I live with my teenage son and my husband, my second husband, remarried, and our dog. Great, great. What kind of English literature do you study or teach about? I work on 18th century British literature mostly. And within that, I really have mostly worked on questions of colonialism and slavery. And recently, I've moved more generally into studies of migration and migration, um, I guess, migration studies. I see. I see. And when you say questions of, of slavery, like what questions do you delve into? My dissertation, my first book were about the kind of broadly about the anti-slavery and abolitionist movement in Britain in the 18th century and how that was represented in literature. Britain had a kind of large, by the end of the 18th century in the 1780s and 90s, had a really large anti-slavery movement and moved to abolish the slave trade in 1807 and and slavery itself in its West Indian colonies in 1833. So I was working at the, looking at the kind of cultural representations of that, particularly actually the use of consumer boycotts as public measures against slavery. So people in England at the time would give up slave grown sugar. I mean, sugar cane production was a big, um, the cash crop of the English slave colonies. So as a way of protesting slavery, people would give up sugar. So I worked on things like that. Um, And it's continued through the rest of my work. I've recently been working on questions more of the middle passage of the transportation of enslaved people across the Atlantic and ways moved a little bit into what they call digital humanity. So ways of representing that through digital means, mapping, and modeling of trying to um, locate mortality where people actually died in the Atlantic. So that is, um, that's carried through all the things I've done. I've done other things, but I've, I've, I've worked a lot on that. And you just came out with a book, or recently, what was the book about? The book is called Peopling the World, Representing Human Mobility from Milton to Malthus. And that's pretty much what it's about. It's about the way ideas of population intersected with ideas of peopling, of kind of spreading humanity across the world. And it asked the question of why in, like when you're in the end of the 17th century and you have paradise lost, 
the you know the moment in Genesis, the moment in Milton's Paradise Lost when Adam and Eve go off to people the world. It's a wonderful thing. The world is empty, and they're going to go spread humanity, and that's a great joy. But by the time you get to Malthus. At the end of the 18th century, you have the Malthusian nightmare of there being too many people and we'll never recover. The earth will not be able to support so many people. There'll be overpopulation, which is an idea you really didn't have earlier. And so it's trying to kind of trace, again, through mostly through literary representation, how we move from one of those things, one of those ideas to the other, from the kind of joy of peopling and kind of having no compunction of moving across the world and inhabiting it through, you know, reproducing people to that being nightmarish, to being our, you know, a great fear that there would be too many people. Hmm. Well, one of the reasons I asked you to be on here is, although I would love to spend the half an hour talking about (laughs) Malthus and his dour look on the future, uh, we probably could, but we share a hobby together that I've seen over Facebook, sailing. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to ask you about that. There are so many questions. So first of all, how did you get into sailing? <laughs> no, seriously, because like I didn't like I my mind's eye, like when I first saw you on Facebook, like with your new boat and you look so happy and the pictures on the water, you look so serene. I just didn't in my mind's eye from 35 years ago, think of you as a sailor. Yeah. No, I was going to say that. I mean, I don't think anybody who knew me in college or in graduate school or when I was a little kid would have picked me out for a sailor, though I did learn to sail when I was a little kid, as probably many people did who lived near the water. And I myself find it hysterical. It was never part of my life's plan that I would be a sailor or be a person who owned a boat. That would have been just crazy to me. I have gotten like more outdoorsy as I've gotten older. I was trying to think to myself like why that was. I think it was partly that I have two sons and so... I mean, I don't want to be sexist, but like as little boys, they really just wanted to be outside and run around. And it was like reliably the only thing that would make them happy. And so I just gradually came to rely on the outdoors. And now I, you know, I run every day. I go backpacking. And every once in a while I stop and I think, you know, anybody who knew me in college, like you said, or knew me previously, <laughs> just would <laughs> <find> it. <laughs> very where, odd, very yeah. weird, you know. Where is the Charlotte I used to know? What did you right? do with her? Dressed in black and only stayed in the library and only read long, long books. I still read long books, but yeah. Um, so, yeah, it is surprising. It surprises me every time I do it, which is probably part of the delight that you saw on my face on Facebook, you know, when we do something that surprises ourselves, I think it is particularly delightful. That's funny. So like, okay, so you go from outdoorsy to like on the water in a sailboat. How, How did that happen? Yeah. So it's really a pandemic phenomenon, I would say. So in the, in the summer, early summer of 2020, my husband and I were just kind of, I don't know, roaming around Durham, North Carolina, feeling very shut in little knowing that we would, you know, go on for years. But at the time, we just felt very shut in. And we were like, what can we do? What could we possibly do? And then we realized that these friends of ours, our good friends, were people who had a dream, like they had a long standing dream of owning a sailboat. And we just thought, well, maybe we could go in on that. If we had a boat that would give us a reason to get out of town, it would give us something to do. I mean, literally we thought 
it'll give us something else to worry about. Like we'll be worrying about the boat. Is it leaking? Does it need to be repaired instead of just fretting? The answer is yes. I have never seen your boat, but like I own a boat too. The answer to that (laughs) question is always yes. Always yes. Right. Like half the fun of owning a boat is repairing it. Right. Mm -hmm. I think so. (laughs) Luckily. So we, um, so we, and, and it did work out that way. So we worried about that and worried less about, you know, fretting about the pandemic and things we couldn't control. So then, and if we joined in with these other families, we could then get a bigger boat. So we went off with them and they started looking for a boat, looking all over, you know, North Carolina and Virginia, where's a boat? And then I just, maybe a month later, they said, okay, we found a boat. It's in Deltaville, Virginia which is about four hours from here. It's up on the York river and we're going to go look at it. And it was so funny because I was like, Oh, Oh, well maybe I could come. So my husband is more of a sailor than I am. And he, he was going to go. And I was like, well, maybe I could come because then I could get out of town and I could see, um, (laughs) I just had this pining. I don't know if you've ever been in Durham, but it's very covered with trees. Yes, Like you can't see the sky. And I just had was pining for a horizon. Like I realized that I love to see the horizon. I was like, maybe I could see a horizon. And then the funniest thing was we said to my son, who was, I guess, 15 at the time, we're like, well, okay, we're going to go to Deltaville to look at an old boat. Would you like to come? You're going to have to get up at five in the morning and drive four hours to Deltaville, sit in this marina, and then we're going to have to drive four hours back. And expecting him to be like, oh, no, I can't get out of bed for that. And he was like, yes, yes, I would like to do that wake me up at five so we can do that. So we all headed off to Deltaville and this, um, in this like ramshackle marina and we found this boat and we were like, okay, we'll, we'll take it. It's a, it was built in 1979, which has been pointed out to me was the year that I went to high school that we all, I guess we all went to high <laughs> That's school. right. And as my husband always says, if it hasn't sunk, if it was built in 1979 and it hasn't sunk yet, it's got to be a good boat, right? Yeah, there we go. I don't know if I completely buy the logic, but it seems like it's worked for you. What's her name? She's called the Take Five, which is actually the name that she came with. And we thought of trying to find a better name, but we have stuck with the Take Five. And luckily, one of our friends is an engineering professor and he loves to fix things. So nothing makes him happier than going down to the boat for the day and trying to fix things. And we're happy to go along and help, but it takes a lot of the anxiety out of it that he likes doing it. That's great. That's great. Well, there is that sort of old tale that if you rename the boat, it's terrible luck. So there's some people. Oh, yes. And then there's some people you know, have a whole procedure you go through if you want to rename the boat. And it's like prayers and incense. And also, I never renamed a boat because I don't want to mess with that. It's the same thing with bananas, the whole thing with bananas and boats. What's about the banana? Oh, no, no. You can't have bananas on boats. No, no, no. Bad, bad luck. Bad, bad luck. Is there a reason or it's just... Well, there, there are... Yeah, I know people who won't even let, like, banana boat sunscreen on their boat like they're fanatical about it um oh yeah no it's uh it's it's a real thing it's well i've heard a few different stories about it but a lot of it comes from the triangular trade and the bananas would come from central and south america up the coast and so the story goes that the boats with the bananas on them had a lot of sailors who died the 
bananas were put on when they were not ripe, because if you're going to sail them without refrigeration, they're going to get ripe at the end, and that there would be poisonous spiders and snakes and things in the bananas. Um, It's like, I don't know if that's true, but like I have definitely known other boaters, particular sailors, who will not allow a banana on a boat. I personally don't like to have bananas on the boat because I find that they don't age well because I don't have a lot of refrigeration on my boat. Yeah. It's yeah. like, I, I just yeah, don't want to, and I'm not a big banana fan to begin with. So like, I do not. And like the galley and where I sleep yeah. and where everyone sleeps is all close together. Yeah. It's like, I just don't want to smell bananas when I'm sleeping. So for me, it's like, I don't ban them, but of their other things are encouraged. Other food is better. Yeah, that's right. So anyway, that's my thing. Oh, they're all these like that's one of the so much superstition. It's so interesting. I enjoy it. (laughs) Yeah. Oh no, I enjoy it too. So like where where do you go on your boat? Like what kind of sailing do you do? Well, we have the boat. So Durham is not on the ocean. And the boat is in New Bern, North Carolina, which is on the um it's moored in New Bern. We're near New Bern, which is about two hours away, actually. So we don't have super access to it all the time we've got to travel down there and what we mostly do we dream of taking it somewhere i'll tell you about some of the places we dream of going but the what we mostly do is go down and sail it around the noose river which is the so the newburn is up at the top of the estuarial part of the noose and it's a huge wide river that you can sail up and down and it's so it's not quite the ocean you can sail it out to the ocean or out to the um through the inland waterways out to the pamlico bay but what we like to like the beautiful thing that we're able to do is just take it out from new Bern and sail up and down the noose which i think is quite easy sailing and then you can pull into one of these inlets or creeks and spend the night and you know make dinner it's just so lovely you can you make dinner and you can watch the sunset and you can um you know sleep so ours is as we're saying like ours is it's a it's not a huge boat you you can sleep inside but if you have more than two people somebody has to sleep outside which is actually in the summer or even the fall in north carolina just you know really nice to sleep completely outside and um, we have a bimini, so you can just you just sleep under the bimini. And and for those listening, a bimini is just a cover. It's like an outdoor like. It's like, it's a like tarp. <laughs> it's like a yeah, it's, yeah. It's like the material. At least I have a bimini too. It's like the material of a old convertible car. It's like having yeah. just a convertible top over you. Yeah, so it's like a shade, which is really necessary. Yeah. And um, at night, a little bit of cover. There's some bugs, unfortunately. But uh-huh. you can wake up in the morning and make your breakfast and have your breakfast sitting out on the boat. It's just so beautiful. Like once, last not anyway, one summer weekend, we were doing this with our friends and we all woke up and we're having our coffee and sitting in the new, you know, in this inlet off the noose and their dolphins came jumping up around us and we could just, you know, just like circling the boat. And it was just, uh, it's just really beautiful to be out there. So really peaceful. And um, yeah, so that's yeah. mostly what we did. We dream of doing other things, but mostly we just kind of sail around. So what are your dreams? Where do you want to go? Well, I was thinking that actually one of my New Year's resolutions is that I would like to go on a trip in this boat, but not very far, but just down, maybe down the North Carolina coast, a little farther to Beaufort or a little farther north, 
our main dream that we keep turning over and we haven't done yet is to get to Ocracoke Island, which is mm-hmm. one of my most favorite places in the world. Do you know Ocracoke? Have you been there? I know where it is. I I dream about sailing trips too. So I've sometimes fantasized about sailing because I do go on trips on my boat. Yeah. But I never go south. I always go north. And so oh, one of my yeah, one of my my fantasies is that uh, they'll become like one September where I dial into the office, say I'm out, and I just keep going south. One of my like peak moments in one of these boat trips was texting to the chair of my department. You know, it was like some crisis was going on, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm sorry. I said, I'm sorry. The boat's about to sail. I won't be able to answer any more emails. I'm sailing. <laughs> Great. It was a peak peak email for me. Um, I, mean, I like to be accessible. I don't like to set up, but it was great. Uh huh. Yeah, I uh, I had one of those experiences as well. We were I was actually sailing out of Block Island Sound, so we're going into the oh, Atlantic because we were going to go way out and then tack back to Cuttyhunk, which is mm-hmm. one of my favorite places in the entire world, which is a teeny tiny island that is just magical. In any event, I had a client call me and I said, listen, I can see Block Island right now in about 15 minutes. I will not see Block Island anymore. Mm-hmm. And once I can no longer see land, I will not have cell phone service. So whatever you have to say, say it now. Say it now. <laughs> I know it is. It is just that nice feeling that you're going out of range. That's um, right. Yeah, we dream of going to Ocracoke, and which would just involve it's probably a two day trip to get out of the noose and then across the Pamlico Sound and then anchor in the Silver Lake Harbor on Ocracoke. Which we go, we with the same group of friends go to Ocracoke every Thanksgiving for Thanksgiving, and which is not the best time to sail. So we'd have to do it in the summer. Anyway, it seems to, we haven't been able to plan it yet, but we really hope to do that. And I was thinking, yeah, like I said, I, that, it's one of my New Year's resolutions to go on more of a trip to actually go somewhere in the boat, not just. Yeah, it's fun to do. I, I do it. And, uh, you know, I plan the provisioning and then mm-hmm. have to like decide, okay, where am I going to stop at night? And, you know, am I going to stop at night or we're going to sail through the night? Oh, do you sail through the night? I've sailed in the night. I've never sailed on my boat through the night. Yeah. Part of that is the deal Lisa and I have. We have certain safety parameters that we've mm-hmm. agreed to because it's not her. She has not gone on these trips with me, but we did. Like, she'll meet me here and there, and mm. she likes it. But, like, the four or five-day trek to, mm-hmm. you know, that's about 20 seven, eight hours of, of sailing to get to Martha's Vineyard. And so, you know, we can do, I've done it in two days. I've done it. It's a little more pleasant in three or in three or four. And so in any event, we do have an agreement about what the safety parameters are and whether I didn't have radar on the boat. And then I decided I was going to do more open water sailing. And I said, okay, we need radar, which came in really handy because we got socked into fog once. Oh yeah. And it was an open water coming back towards Martha's Vineyard and this wall of fog hit us around four in the afternoon and visibility went from unlimited to, you know, I could see maybe 10 feet and which you're, when you're in open water, trying to get into a Harbor is terrifying. So having radar is, is good. Although at one point when one of the guys was on the bow and started yelling that he could see a rock and which didn't make any sense to me because if I had read the charts, right, we shouldn't have been any miles from any rock. And then the the rock picked up, I saw the rock and then the rock picked up its head and it was a seal. It was just, it was just like, okay, okay. You looked very rock like there. I know. And, uh, Mr. Or Ms. Seal, whoever you are. And, uh, anyway, sort of looked at us, nodded and swam away. But, uh, those are the kinds of moments that I really like, 
are unique to yeah. sailing. Even yeah. any motor propelled experience, you're not going to get that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's so true. And it's so, I mean, the, the idea of the fog is terrifying. And actually, I mean, since I read a lot about 18th century sea voyages, it just blows my mind that people sailed all over with no idea where they were going, no radar, no GPS, often no maps. And they, it, it really has driven home to me even more like what it would have been like to live without that kind of technology, like what you would have had to do. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying the conversation. Please remember that this podcast is being brought to you by the 35th reunion of the greatest class Yale College has ever known, the great class of 1987. Our reunion will be in New Haven, Connecticut, June 2nd, 3rd, 4th, and 5th in Pearson College. We hope to see you there. Now, back to the conversation. Well, you anticipated one of my questions. Like, Are there books that you now go back to and read differently because of your experiences? Or are there books that you take with you on your trips to read because you can savor them differently if you're, I mean, sort of trite to say, but like Moby Dick, do you go like, oh, I'm going to go Moby Dick on a boat in the Atlantic? You know, oh, that's uh, a great idea. I haven't, I have not. I mean, I've read Moby Dick, but not in a boat. Um, the, I'm trying, I don't really read much. I, I've never taken a book to the boat for just the reason we were saying before is like when you're on a boat there's always something to do like you should be paying attention or you should be stowing something or like thinking about how to go faster I mean it, it takes up your I don't when I go to the boat I don't take the usual like things that I do when I'm unoccupied you know when I might be unoccupied I don't take my book I don't take knitting I just plan to either be occupied doing something or just like emptying my mind and looking at the water, which I find very therapeutic. Is, so is that one of the things you do? Why, one of the reasons you've been attracted to sailing? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think it's like one of the few places that when I do it, it just is. And I, I should say, I'm not much of a sailor. I'm, I'm the person where you, you say, you know, pull that line or move over there. Or, you know, I'm not directing things, but even just, being out on the ocean and, and not doing anything, I find is a way I can empty my mind and just be focused on the the sun and the waves and the wind in a way that is really hard for me in ordinary life. So yeah, that is one of the things I really like about it. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I have to say that's one of the that's one of the reasons I do it too. And I did take a few years ago one of our friends. We had lunch and we we're just trying to explain. She's like, "Well, why a sailboat and not a powerboat?" I try to mm -hmm. explain why, and I say, "You know, a powerboat is it's about getting to the destination. But when you're on the sailboat, you've reached your destination already." Right. You start at your destination. It's yeah. like I don't know. I don't sort of I don't get it. So like we got on the boat, we went out. You know we put the boat into the winds and then put the sails up and then turn off the engine. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like we hit our cruising speed and we're like tilted a little bit, a little heeled over. And she looked at me and she's like, I completely get this. Oh, that's yeah. Crazy. Cause it's like, all you have is the wind and the, the lapping of the water against the, the boat. It wasn't a, what I would call a sporty day. Had a couple of those last summer where, you know, you're in, six to eight, 10 feet seas. So you're, you know, going up and down sort of like a master and a commander kind of deal. But, um, you know, it wasn't like, and it's like, it's just peaceful, but you have to focus on what you're doing. You have to be really present. 
Yeah. Yeah. You absolutely do. Yeah. Cause something could, I mean, like you were saying about the seal, it's like something unexpected could happen at any moment, even yeah. though it seems. Or the wind yeah. could shift or mm-hmm. like, you know, there could be a lobster pot or, you know, it could be any number of things you have to pay attention. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to be kind of, you know, oh, I don't know what the word is to describe the state of mind you have to have. You have to be kind of open to possibility as you're. Yeah. Saying. And then like, yeah problem solve because sometimes the mm-hmm. things happen and there's no like oh well in the book they said if this happens then you do that it's like okay i have to figure this out right. and i like that i like that part of it too yeah yeah i don't really i'm not sure i participate so much in that part <laughs> <laughs> i like it i like the idea of it i'm happy to be part of that it doesn't uh, but uh, that's funny i'm not that sure i've ever funny. solved a problem on the boat so <laughs> what is your favorite part of sailing is it this you know finding this uh the space of, of focus? I think so. at the moment, yes, it's fun. It's having that kind of space outside your ordinary life where you're not busy, you know, busy with lists or all the things you have to do. You're just kind of at the mercy. That's not the right word, but you, you have to be in tune with, like you said, like the weather, the weather conditions and where you are, you have to be in a different mindset towards that as opposed to your, you know, regular preoccupations. And yeah, so that's the, I think that is the thing that I like most about it. I also like the kind of sociability of it, like to go out with our friends. Oh yeah. It's a, it's a social thing. Yeah. And just to have, but to have this other kind of socializing where we're just sitting around and taking care of things and it's just very relaxed. So I like that as a way to socialize and be together. Definitely. Yeah. Those would be it. But now, but then I think, you know, I don't particularly like being like a dead weight on the boat. So I do have ambitions to be, a better sailor, which I haven't really actualized yet. I should say <laughs> this is for the future. <laughs> but I went. Um, I was on Block Island actually last summer. My high school friend was there, and we both wanted to learn to sail. So we took this at the little club there. We got like a private lesson for the two of us, and it was so fun being with my high school friend and and doing this and um, being in one of these. I was trying to remember the name of the boat, but just these very little boats. But they're they're very stable. It's like a kind of bucket of a boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know those that you would learn on. Well, yeah, it could be an opti, like an optimist, or um, those are short. Those are not too stable, at least when you're my size. Yeah, but anyway, it doesn't. I don't know. Anyway, the, anyway, they took us out to learn, and that was really fun to like learn how to do all these things and to judge the wind and to jive and tack and so on. So I would like to pursue that. I have not managed thus far to get much farther with it, but yeah, I would say that's a long-term goal is to get better at the actual sailing part of sailing. That part is fun too. And I, I am, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm a bit drawn to the fact that when you're on the water, the earth, the, the wind, the waves, like is utterly indifferent to your presence. And that is both, humbling and centering and then when everything goes right and you can harness all those forces it does give at least it gives me a great sense of um accomplishment and then Mm -hmm. when i don't master those forces and i'm sort of at their mercy it reminds me to be a bit humble about what activity we're engaging in yeah yeah it kind of puts you in a different relationship to the earth i mean that sounds a little grandiose but you know what i mean to nature that oh, it, you can both, yeah, that you have to be responsive to it. You can't control it. And then sometimes you can master it and sometimes not. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That is right. Well, 
hopefully you and your husband can come to the reunion in June and who knows, maybe I'll, I'll bring my boat up. I have sailed it up to New Haven and I usually dock at Brantford, which is not too far from, and you can take a, uh, a cab and be at Yale's campus in a matter of a few minutes. Um, it's funny. I did, I did show people a picture of the university from the water and a lot of people don't realize that New Haven's on the water, but you can't see the residential colleges from the water, but you can see the Klein Biology Tower, Harkness mm-hmm. Tower. You can actually see decent parts of the university from the water. So, um, oh, that's so interesting. I've yeah. been to the beach at New Haven, but I don't, I guess, the, but there's no marina there, right? You'd have to do it, dock it in Brantford, is it? Yeah. Well, though, there's a, there are some marinas like right in near Long Wharf. Hence oh, the name okay. Long Wharf. Oh, okay. sure. um, but some of the waters there are a little shallow. But that would be awesome to arrive by boat. <laughs> <To the reunion>. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. I I don't I don't see, you know, the boat coming up chapel, but um yeah. you get the idea. Yeah. So yeah. N- now we're at the part of the podcast I call the lightning round. So just a couple quick questions, so you get off the top of your head responses. So what 18th century novel do you think people should go revisit, go pick up again, that we might have a different perspective, maybe, that we're in our 50s? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, you, you asked that question as if pe- most people, I think most people have not read any 18th century novels. Yeah, well, maybe I was a literature major, so I've read all sorts of things. But, oh. like, you know, I, I'm just thinking, you know, there are... Uh, well, let's see. I would... So... Uh, the one I think I, so it's not quite a novel, but I think the thing people might enjoy nowadays in our, in our own tumultuous times is Gulliver's Travels. Also speaking of sea voyages, I think oh, yeah. that's an interesting one to revisit because it's satirical. It has all this political satire in it, but then it has all this kind of interesting uh, satirical investigation kind of of what it's like to be on a boat and go meet unknown cultures that are very strange. Yeah, because most people don't realize that the Gulliver actually interacted with multiple cultures in that book. It's not just the Lilliputians. It's the Winhams and all the others. So yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And he has very different reactions to all of them. And he, you know, the Winhams, the horse people, he really feels like they're better than humans and he would much rather stay there. It's actually, it's a very radical book where he finally decides that human society is not worth going back to. And that's interesting. Goes, Maybe yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'll go give that a read because that was one of my favorites back in college. Yeah, it's very funny. That is um, funny. That's a good one. But it's one. kind of dark at the end because he's he goes home and he's like, I, I think I have to live with the horses. I can't stand to live with human beings anymore. Well, I think that after the pandemic, there might be somebody, a bunch of our classmates who, who agree with that sentiment. Right? That's what I'm saying. So I think it would that would actually be a really interesting one to reread. And I think it would still be, I mean, it's perpetually enjoyable. I mean, it's still funny 300 years later. Oh, you know the novel I'm just reading now with my class, actually, speaking of the pandemic, is Defoe's novel, A Journal of the Plague Year. I don't know if you've ever read that. but I don't it, think I have. That's Defoe's historical novel. So it's written in 17, 1722, so exactly 300 years ago. and it's But it's about the bubonic plague epidemic in London in 1665. And I was saying to my class, I was just teaching it yesterday, and I was saying to them, you know, I, taught, I always teach this book, and usually I teach it, and I'm like, oh, that's so interesting. The plague must be a metaphor for, you know, human interaction and so on. And this time we were all reading it, and we, like, one 
student said that she had like a checklist. She was like, yep, that's what it's like. That's what it's like. That's what it's like. It's It's just what happened. It's what happened. It's like in 1665, people turned to astrology to explain the plague. And another student was like, oh, yeah, that's like my sister. She has an astrology app on her phone to help her understand how to negotiate the pandemic. So that was a wild reread in this particular situation really changed my understanding of the book. Wow. (laughs) It was very literal. It was really amazing. Yeah. I could go on about it for another half hour, but I would recommend that one. If if you can stand pandemic literature, it is really interesting to see what things were, see that things, I mean, I was saying to them, it's like, usually when you read things from the past, you have a kind of privilege of historical distance where you're like, Oh, those people in the past, they were so superstitious and they didn't have science and so on. And we had just lost that privilege, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I gotta say, like I do a lot of fraud cases. Mm, yeah, like, that's whoa. what I do for a living. Oh, wow. And so like I have come to the belief mm. that there really just is nothing new. Like people yeah. are people. We've been the same way for millennia. We're fundamentally driven like the tools might be different. Yeah. And so like sometimes the number of zeros behind the amount of money people have stolen are more because we have different tools, but the behavior is fundamentally the same. Isn't that amazing? It's just, I don't think I would have in college predicted that, that that would be the way we end up thinking about things. I think that that's probably right. Interesting. Well, now you've given me at least two books to go back and read. That is excellent. Okay. Another rapid fire question. That one wasn't so rapid, but that's fine. Sorry. Um, (laughs) No, no, no. That's good. So 80s fashion. Like, do you think it's like something that we should bring back, forget, or just trot out for reunions and costume parties? <laughs> That's a great question. I'm just flashing on these pictures of this dress I had for graduation that I was so enamored of when I bought it. And now I look at it, it was like pink and it had like shoulder ruffles. And I was just so delighted with the shoulder ruffles when I bought it. And now I look at it and I'm like, wow, that you could really only have bought that dress in 1987. And <laughs> 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 it never have existed in any other time period. Yeah. I had a white sport coat that I thought was really swell. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, there's some, again, you know, cause I deal with college students all the time and we're doing, there's something, Oh, you know, they love, there's some 80s things that they love. And I was talking to them about something. Oh, I teach Jane Austen a lot, right? And mm-hmm. I was talking about the movie Clueless, which is a yeah, yeah. Um, you know remake of, a, of Emma, the Austen novel. And they were like, there's something in there, which isn't exactly 80s. But I was like, oh, do you remember that? Have you ever encountered that? And they looked at me and they said, there's 80s nostalgia now. We all know about that. And I'm like, oh, wow. My... <laughs> Do they ever ask you, like, oh, what was it back in olden times? The problem with us, you know, embracing it and wearing it to the reunion is it looks like, and it might be true, that it's, you know, we never cleaned out our closets. Not that we're, like, embracing it in some (laughs) retro way. It's just we never... Yeah. But I do love it. I I do love it. I love to see 80s clothes and music, and it's still, you know... What's your opinion on that one? Oh, you know, I would say it's mostly best left in the past, maybe because I can't pull off the hair anymore because I just don't have enough. But, um, you know, I I think that there are aspects of it, like of particularly not really the fashion as much, but the music and some of the the changes that were just becoming. I mean, I showed up 
I'm like most of our classmates probably with a typewriter and, you know, we were using computers, you know, by the end of freshman year. So, um, you know, there are a lot, there's actually quite a bit of change that began then. And I think that we couldn't maybe see all of the changes and how it all play out. And I didn't appreciate how much, how revolutionary some of those things were. Yeah. Yeah. I know to move. I mean, the things that seemed revolutionary to us, like, like the answering machine, Mm-hmm. always remember the like how exciting that was that you didn't have to be home to get your calls like they could be yeah or or even uh, like some of the social things i think that and obviously aids had mm-hmm. i mean aids existed during our college time and the consciousness of all of it the disease and its ramifications and the ramifications it would have on some of our classmates that you know who were infected and died mm-hmm. um and then the relationships and then the advocacy that came from that time and mm-hmm. to have mm-hmm. classmates of our impacted talk about their sexuality mm-hmm. openly in a way that before I showed up at college, no one talked about things like that. Yeah. And maybe I, it's because I went to an all boys Catholic school. And then to see now yeah. some of our classmates having been part of what began at that time mm-hmm. to get uh, the marriage equality as an example, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then some of our classmates being able to marry hmm Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In a same-sex couple. Um, yeah. Like that, some of those changes were sort of beginning when we were there. And I, I know I did not have a clue that it was really the beginning of, for in some ways, a revolution. Yeah. No, no. I think I feel the same way. Like it was just kind of eye-opening to me, but I didn't have like the breadth of mind to see where it would go. And it is right. really startling and, I guess, and wonderful that it has changed things in that way. Yeah. 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 Although the, there are other things like I see, cause we have one kid in college and two are out of college and mm-hmm. one about to go. And then there mm-hmm. are also things that I thought were changing then that maybe haven't changed as much as I thought they might. So I don't know if you see, see that as a college professor, do you see, and like when you're looking at your class thinking, Oh, that's really no different than it was in the eighties and maybe it should be, or that's really different. And I'm glad it is. Yeah. I think about that a lot. Like the, I mean, I think the thing that has changed the most is that 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 question of sexuality, people being open and being able to live openly in different sexual identities is really present in college students, which is wonderful. They just it's just not an issue to them in the way that it was to us, which is often, not always, but often in the way, which is great. But some things, yeah, I feel like have not changed in the way that they I thought they would. You know, especially, yeah, especially around women's issues, I think. Yeah, that's what I had in mind. Just like, which is really, yeah, you know, disturbing, of course. I mean, both in terms of equity and just the way women think of themselves in the world. So, as a professor, as you look at your students, do you feel optimism towards the future or pessimism? Like, what do you feel about the future? Well, it's hard not to feel pessimism just in general, but (laughs) I do feel like this generation now is great. I feel that strongly. Like I feel there was, I'm now making vast generalizations, which I'm sure people can can and should disagree with, but I feel like there was a generation maybe around the Great Recession who were very scared of things. I mean, legitimately so, but scared in a way that made them, you know, kind of insular. They didn't want to engage. They just wanted to get their degree and get a house and like get out. Um, And this generation is also scared 
also legitimately. But I feel like they have a much greater commitment to trying to make the world better. Like people don't want to be English majors anymore, which is a sad thing. Um, you know, the majors are shrinking, which is is sad. I feel like they didn't used to want to be English majors because they were like, how can you make money being an English major? But anyway, how can you make money? But this generation, they still don't want to be English majors. But they, the reason is that they're like, how is that going to save the world? The world is ending. I need to do something about it. And how is an English degree going to help me do something about it? Which I feel is, I feel like that's legit. That's a legitimate question to ask. So I actually really like them. Yeah, I feel, I feel like this generation is a, is a really good one. So they give me optimism. They just feel like no one else is doing anything about the state of the world. So we have to pick up the pieces and, and do something. So yeah, I do. I, when I, you know, it's, it's, like I said, it's back from sabbatical and back to teaching. It is nice to meet younger people who have energy for making the world a better place. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. This has been a wonderful conversation and uh, I look forward to seeing you in New Haven. I hope we get together in June. Yeah, me too. I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you for doing all of these. They've been just great to listen to and to hear about what people are doing. It's really a pleasure, so I appreciate it. In a world where people were isolated by a pandemic, forced to live their lives remotely in an endless parade of Zoom meetings, one Yale College class dared to break the mold. The Yale College class of 1987 is planning what no Yale College class has ever tried before, at least not for a while. An in-person reunion, June 2nd, 3rd, 4th, and 5th, 2022. We will be gathering in Pearson College. Be there for engaging discussions, nightly revelry, and way too much New Haven pizza, if there ever could be such a thing. We'll wrestle with age-old questions like, maybe I look better in a mask, what do you think? Who or what is a bula? What in the world am I going to do with no kids in the house? These questions and more will be answered at our 35th college reunion. Be there. It's one Yale college class dared to break the mold. That's it for today. Thanks so much for tuning in. This has been the Y87 podcast, the official podcast of the greatest class that Yale College has ever known. We hope you've enjoyed it. If you have any comments or questions or would like to appear as a guest, please email me at timothy.p.harkness at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Such a thing. We'll wrestle with age-old questions like, maybe I look better in a mask. What do you think? Who or what is a bula? What in the world am I going to do with no kids in the house? These questions and more will be answered at our 35th college reunion. Be there. That's it for today. Thanks so much for tuning in. This has been the Y87 podcast, the official podcast of the greatest class that Yale College has ever known. We hope you've enjoyed it. If you have any comments or questions or would like to appear as a guest, please email me at timothy.p.harkness at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.